before we get to the intro the podcast is going to be all about spicy things as we were chatting just before what do you have to say right so i said we should be pirates so i think yesterday was the talk like a pirate day and it got me thinking about pirates and uh, silicon valley and all those kind of things so steve jobs is famous for saying like let's be pirates and uh, i think when linkedin founder i think reed hoffman also had this big blog post that he had earlier on being a pirate and all those kind of things and i feel we, we are slowly forgetting that when we talk about like devops and like the processes and cybersecurity and all that we forget the dna of the rebel the renegade the pirate that drives us all and that has been my guiding post all through my career for the past 20 years i mean we should all be pirates we should be more pirates than what we are now i mean just to be clear this is different from piracy yes uh, of course um so yes. it's the uh, spirit of the pirate that you are talking about Uh, do you want true. to expand on that more what oh yeah absolutely so there is a uh, spirit of the pirate is not to be encumbered by uh, rules and processes and kind of like move fast and break things right i mean they call it move fast and break things now uh, right the the idea is that uh, when you are working for a big company or this thing you may have several layers of uh, bureaucracy that you have to deal with to get something done right in the end uh, software is about uh expressing your ideas into code and making it work so that those systems work and sometimes uh most of these processes are to aid engineering and not to be in the way and when you find the processes are in the way i feel you know it's it's okay to break them right it's it's okay to get around them a bit like ship things and the important thing is shipping so the the goal is that if something it gets in your way of shipping you should prioritize shipping over following a rule my two cents perfect um of course like don't follow the process to the verbatim uh, you know explanation of it which takes us to the point that you should understand why a process exists one thing is to follow it second thing is to understand right. the philosophy behind why it was created and what is the value that you are supposed to get out of it with that spicy introduction uh, do you want to introduce yourself vagmi yes hi i'm vagmi uh i my full name is vagni budumbai you can find me on linkedin i'm sure it'll all get linked down in the podcast yeah. description um so i have been writing code and somehow people have been paying me for it for the past 20 years actually i have worked in companies both big and small i worked with sap labs i worked with small i have started my own uh, i'm again starting my own like one person solopreneurs kind of like a, a, a startup now and it's very scary uh, given that i have two kids and a mortgage uh, but yeah that's me so i tend to do pretty much everything across the board i started off writing vb uh, uh vb apps asp.net uh, like jsp struts apps and i've gone uh you know onto the devops side i've built mobile apps uh i have architected big systems i've played around with ai i'm kind of like all over the place so there's no one single bucket that i fit into awesome uh and you started your career from india and currently you are based out of that's right canada canada that's right so i moved here uh about four and four and a half years back uh um, and also set up our company here tarka labs is set up here it's a consultancy we help uh, our clients uh you know scale systems build new things and essentially be an awesome technology partner for them uh and uh 
we moved here because we wanted to stay closer to some of our customers whom we were working with at that time. Awesome. What are some of your learnings from the 20 plus year career that you had? <laughs> right. So uh, it's, uh, I mean, like looking back, you know, 20 years looks like a long time, but it kind of like moved pretty fast. Um, uh, I started off, I mean, my guiding post has always been about craftsmanship. So I always feel uh, you need to, you need to be focused on the craft uh, and, you know, continue learning every day. And as you learn every day, you slowly start getting exposed to different things. And uh, as you solve problems, get exposed to new things, I mean, you naturally become better. And I think Peter Norwich, I think he said, oh, become an expert programmer in like 10 years or something like that, because there used to be this Sam's 21 day books say, oh, learn something in 21 days, right? It was all the fad, like when I was growing up, I think around like early 2000s, something like that. And uh, it was, I mean, it is the thing that, okay, software development has always been a craft, right? I mean, there is software engineering and software craftsmanship. Uh, often they are seen uh, in opposition to each other, right? They say, oh, do you want to do good engineering or do you want to be a craftsman? I say it's it's kind of uh, orthogonal concerns, I would say, right? You have to be a good craftsman and you have to do good software engineering. So, uh, so being a good software craftsman means knowing your system really well, uh, understanding your IDE, understanding your uh, like pair programming techniques or understanding how, uh, you know, uh, you can do different sorts of testing with this thing or, uh, you know, understanding your tools better, right? And uh, learning how to express things quickly with uh, and experimenting on shorter loops, right? All that is a, a sign of a good craftsman. Good engineering is all about system architecture, uh, putting, uh, you know, larger systems in place. And how do you operate those large systems, right? And for that, you need engineering. So there are two orthogonal um, uh, concerns for me. And I think you should get good at both. Isn't being a good craftsman uh, a subset of being a good engineer? Can you be a good engineer without being a good craftsman? Seems like um, no, because you craftsman craftsmanship seems to be about smaller things where you know how right. to use the tools, you know what tools exist in the first place. Right. Uh, you know which tool to use when and which tool to not use when. Um, sure. uh, and it's just about using tools. So you have all the tools under your belt and right. then you go out in the world and build big systems. So uh, is it right. not like a subset of being a good engineer? Yes and no. Uh, I think in order to be successful as a good engineer, you need to also embrace craftsmanship and become a good craftsman. Uh, but that said, people have built good systems where, you know, they have not uh, necessarily, uh, uh, you know, explored the craft. Like someone who's um, essentially been building backend systems or someone who's just been a, a game developer uh, only working on like 3D rigging models and like uh, doing these things. You could be really good at what you do and like focus on one aspect of engineering alone and do that well and be a good engineer without being a good uh, without exploring the craftsmanship. So our, you may have a very narrow focus, right? Um, so when I say being a good craftsman is also to explore and make yourself uncomfortable from time to time. Uh, for example, you want to switch editor. So you're very comfortable with VS Code. You might want to switch to NeoVim or something like that or Emacs 
to figure out how they work, right? And, and then you will figure out, oh, there's this whole world of language servers that you can do, or you can, uh, uh, you know, customize these things this way, and so on and so forth, right? And that gives you a different perspective of this. Or you're working with a, a language like Python or Ruby or uh, something like that, Java or something like that, then you take on like, oh, I want to do C, C++ or Rust or go on to the functional programming side and say, oh, I want to look at Haskell, right? Or, or ML or things like that. And that actually is the essence of craftsmanship is to always keep exploring and seeing, oh, is there a better tool can I that I can use? Or just learning the a tool for the sake of learning so that you can use lessons from that in another uh, programming language that you use. Or say, for example, you learn functional programming, you can come back to Java and say, hey, I have lambdas here, I have did this, I have this idea of immutability uh, in Haskell, and that's how it works. How can I apply that uh, in Java, even if I'm using you know, just standard Spring and things like that? How do I embrace immutability there? Do you think people have time today to do all this? Um, in today's world, it's so fast paced and there are startups and people are always job hopping. That's a thing now. And yes. uh, apparently people switch jobs every year as well. Uh, I have done that right. myself, by the way, in the beginning of my career, that was, that had to do more with me not fitting into the company and I was growing too fast, you know, with all the free money flowing now it, it has come to an end, but do people have time and, you know, like, do you see people do this realistically today? I, I still see, um, I mean, statistically speaking, um, the distribution of, say, uh, like people with these kind of interests are more or less the same. There are more people coming into uh, software development now, given that it's a very lucrative field. Um, everybody on YouTube is like, oh, become a programmer now, uh, earn six-figure salaries, uh, those kind of things, and so on and so forth. Um Yes, there is a lot of, uh, I mean, and in India, it happened even before it happened out here in the West, right? In India, software engineering was seen as the job to get to. And there are, yeah. uh, there's so many people, I mean, the three idiots were essentially, you know, <laughs> built on that. There is a, a AIB sketch uh, or someone, somebody's had a sketch where they had these engineers come in and uh, this is really funny sketches. But mm. my point is... Uh, uh, yes, there are a lot of people who are not passionate about this and who come in and so on and so forth. But there are also people who are passionate about it, right? And uh, anybody who's listening to these kind of podcasts uh, is, I think, in, is self-selected in that bucket, right? So I'm talking to my people. If you are taking your time to listen to two people talk about technology, right, and yeah. engineering and things like that, you're in the right crowd, right? You go to conferences, you're in the right crowd, right? You do open source programming on the side and you're hanging around on some random Twitch guy streaming, building some open source stuff, you're in the right crowd, right? So for those kind of people, take time to learn these things and they, they cannot... Uh, they cannot not do it. I, it's almost a compulsion for them, right? And I was one of them, right? For me, I was eternally, I mean, I was like uh, incurably curious, I would say, right? I mean, I have, I had to know these things. And uh, and I think that's what was driving me to these things. So how would you pick them up? Just pick an editor, pick a language and read some articles, read some documentation, just tinker with it, you know, try. Absolutely. Right. Uh, I mean, nowadays, I mean, uh, YouTube is a godsend now. I mean, I think pretty much yeah. anything that you think think of, there's a four-hour YouTube tutorial out there <laughs> uh, <laughs> explaining that. Uh, uh, but even before that, right? But uh, but if you want to really know something, you have to build it, right? Uh, there's this uh, really famous uh, scene in uh, uh, The Matrix. It's one of my favorite movies forever, right? Where Neo goes to 
like meet Seraph, and then Seraph fights with Neo, right? And then uh, and then he asks him to stop, and uh, he said, "But you fought with me, right?" And he said, "Oh, you don't really know a person until you fought with them, right?" Uh, or yeah, he says, "How do I know you are Neo?" And uh, uh, and he basically makes this point. Seraph makes this point that you don't really know a person until you fight with them. And and I have the same theory about programming languages or tools and things like that. You don't really know the tool un unless you have fought with it, right? Uh, Rust, I picked up Rust first. Uh, and usually my go-to uh, method of learning new tools is to just build something simple with it. Just pick, pick something, uh, set yourself a goal like, oh, I'm going to build a to-do MVC with this, or I'm just going to deploy some uh, you know, controller with this or something like that, right? Pick a random goal uh, and then like just jump straight in and start figuring out with the documentation, like give error prompts, things like that, so on and so forth. Uh, most of my programming has worked, gone very well through that. Uh, even Haskell to a certain extent, uh, I work well. I mean, I, I actually started jumping into Haskell. I stepped back and then I learned uh, learn yourself uh, Haskell for a great good book and then kind of like, you know, looked at Haskell again. Uh, similarly for Rust, again, I started off like, oh, building a random thing because I was like, oh, this can't be as complicated as Haskell. I got it. And Rust absolutely kicked my butt. I, I gave up. I picked up Rust. I dropped it. I said, it's stupid. I can't, I can't figure it out. And then I picked it up a year later again. And there I actually went through uh, the Rustling course and the Rust book and all that. And then I picked up Rust. Right. And now uh, Rust has become my favorite language. And when I talk about tools and technologies, sometimes I talk about them very passionately and people kind of confuse my enthusiasm with endorsement, right? And say, oh, well, he's so enthusiastic mm. about it. So I think he endorses this language, which is not true. I mean, I, I mean, given another language, I, I plan to uh, pick up Zig next uh, to figure out, okay, how that works and so on. So I keep, I'm very promiscuous with my choice of technology. I keep like trying out different things. Um, so uh, yeah, goal is just pick something up you know, build something with it, run with it, see where it takes you. This is seen as a big time waste by a lot of people. While I agree with you, the podcast audience is going to be uh, in that tinkerer uh, crowd. Uh, right. And they would love tinkering. Uh, but mm -hmm. there are just scores and scores of engineers out there who are mm -hmm. very, very goal oriented. That, right. uh, you know, I have to get a job in java mm -hmm. i have to get a job in testing i have to get a job in devops whatever it is i have to right. get a job in android development so i learn quite right. and that's it and mm -hmm. i'll get on with it and i would rather learn things that will get me that will get me hired uh, and that will make right. me grow right. um, is this a waste of like why is this not a waste of time do you want to expand on that no i i would say i, I would take a different perspective and say there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's nothing wrong if you just want to approach it, uh, say, hey, I want to just learn Java, uh, I want to learn Kotlin, I want to just learn Android, and then like do that. There is so much to you know go in there. And if people just want to do that and get to a job, it's perfectly fine. There is nothing wrong with that at all, right? Uh, but what that limits you, I feel, is that uh, we, are, we are in this day and age where uh, you know, computers are essentially the fabric of our society. Pretty much all the systems that we have in our society are running through these digital information systems that are out there. Uh, whatever medium you choose, right? Uh, it's it's going to be a small slice, 
of that of that thing and you are basically just tasting it right but when when you are exploring it in this way you have a lot more creative uh, latitude uh, it may not be for everyone the i i completely agree uh, it is not something that uh, many people would enjoy uh, uh, or they find that oh it's a waste of time which is okay i mean people have different interests right i mean i don't uh, I, i mean i'm i'm curious about many things but i'm not curious about sports i don't watch a lot of sports right uh, it, it's not it's not me i've tried to honestly uh, i've had friends who said hey this is great we should come and watch uh, a 3 r cricket match or like a whatever time that is or things like that uh, even now i still don't know the rules about like t20 or things like that sometimes like i i randomly go watch a match when i'm like somewhere there and i i keep asking somebody hey who's this guy and who's that guy or wh- why is he doing this and i never know about all these things and they're like are you for real are you from india you're from chennai and you don't know this it's like honestly like people have different interests right i mean so that <laughs> god is interesting me. very interesting um one analogy that comes into mind is when you're learning singing right mm. you could learn either a particular type of singing let's say bollywood singing or um a lot of people from bengal learn rabindra sangeet um right. or some folk music you'll learn uh, or in western worlds you'll learn some particular type of singing and that's right the most complex of it is classical music um either right. hindustani classical or carnatic classical not everyone has appetite to be professional in that space that's But it's right good to learn because it creates a base and it allows you to absorb and um, you know flourish in one particular niche right. so you right. might still end up being a kotlin developer and just develop android right. apps but if you are a tinkerer and if you are a pirate uh, from the mindset it will allow you to be a much much better uh, android developer or a much better automation engineer uh, than others absolutely absolutely and uh, this is like um, an opportunity of a, a that's unique to our generation i suppose right there um um you know you with a with a 2000 dollar device or something like that with even some much lesser uh you have the uh, option to create a million dollars or more of value right with just that and that kind of a leverage has not been there or, or most people are not privileged enough to get that sort of leverage Yeah. even now uh, but in the previous times it was un- inconceivable that someone with a little bit of uh, a small investment with uh, in on a device and a lot of information and knowledge that's freely available can actually massively create this kind of leverage i mean this is this is unheard of right uh, and the artists have known this for a long time right because uh, artists musicians uh, they have seen this right i mean it's, it's they have they can create a piece of art or music that would give that kind of leverage with uh, like people's this thing and all that but here we are in that intersection of utility and art right so it's it's in that intersection and which is what is very very interesting about uh, you know computers and software and digital products and so on and so forth you're absolutely right at least speaking about india uh, you can buy a 15 15000 rupees uh, laptop which are called netbooks these these are there are these 10 right. uh, inch uh, netbooks that you get right and uh, you can have uh, you know a cheap phone uh, which has 4g right. in it some 5 6 7 000 rupees phone and right. like under 25000 maybe under 30000 
you get set up and the phone of course like internet is mm. much cheaper here and um right. the world of uh, you know knowledge you can access so much information uh, and just be a tinkerer um okay so Absolutely. tell us some pirate stories from your growing up days like what uh, <laughs> of course you talk about tinkering but uh, can you talk yeah. about a professional project on the job uh, where it has helped oh yeah, yeah. i mean, i i i'm uh, i'm uh... you know notorious for my pirate stories so let me uh, let me give you one story when i was in uh when i was working for sap uh and i was in the uh installation authoring team so we used to build these uh next 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 finish sort of like installers right uh, and this was the time where uh software used to be shipped in series uh or dvds uh actually or they used to be downloaded by ftp the administrators would download it and then send it off to the fleet of laptops so this was i was in the um uh, crm mobile sort of a team hmm. and uh, that team um so it, uh, when i say mobile it is not this mobile at that time laptops were considered mobile because this was like a sales force that would essentially go from like a city to city and sell solutions and they would have the software installed on it and that would have a list of all the opportunities this thing uh, like contracts all this kind of stuff that they would fit in and they would be able to retrieve it and yeah, we had was... we had this whole offline architecture yeah i'm sorry what year was this uh this was uh 2000 3 2004 sometime okay some, so uh, well before, before the yeah, smartphone age yeah much before the smartphone age uh, the nokia uh, people had these nokia communicators blackberries um, the nokias uh, like first touch screens full screen touch phones had just come and they were running symbian uh, s40 and s60 kind of like operating systems it's that age right think that age yeah. so there uh, so we were in this installation team and we used to build these installers and they used to frequently break because we depended on a lot of uh, uh, you know libraries being present as part of windows uh, installation like uh, uh, they need to ha- have sql server express installed or they need to have a few registry settings set up and so on and so forth and they used to have all this complexity in there and uh, uh, we used to so our team was like a very sort of like a lean team it was like four people supporting the installation part of the entire product both internally and externally so and sap used to do its own eat its own dog food right i mean whatever we produced was consumed by internal dev teams as well as our customers and sap was like very very uh, and it was such a big company and i, I learned a lot there and it, they used to do these kind of practices even there and we um we didn't have build machines or or we had our own build machines so the first things we did when we set up there was to get rid of our build machines and we integrated our packaging infrastructure with the build machines that the framework teams had already right so they had a framework team that was building dotnet based frameworks and we used to integrate with that so that at the end of their build we would get an installation package that our internal application teams would use right so and then so that we can test it internally before we send it out to the customer and this is way back before any of the like startup things or like you know dog fooding and all those things came we used to do that and uh, there uh, we used to have this team called shepherd of the week where every week one of us the devs would basically be responsible for customer support so we would essentially be on call and uh, we would get the l2 support essentially l1 would still be handled by the support team l2 will come when they cannot follow like whatever script that we give them and it's not solved and there 
uh, in order to make our lives easy, I built a small tool called uh, EMB Checker, which is like a small uh, .NET application, which was never supposed to leave our team. Uh, and, uh, you know, just the four of us were supposed to handle it. It didn't have any signing, no security, nothing. It used to run a couple of like Iron Python scripts uh, internally to quickly check, hey, is the connection to the database okay? Is the connection to, uh, are these DLLs present? Is the SH view DLL the right version that we want? So on and so forth. All that kind of, is the VBCOM entries set properly? Maybe some iDispatch entry is gone wrong. Or maybe there is an old installation that has not been cleared up. All those junk files still present and all those kind of things. And it'll give a report on like red, green, red, green, all those kind of things. Hmm. And it was there. So no one uh, did this. So there's one guy in L1 support. Uh, he, they were based off in Germany. And uh, he, he used to ping us a lot. And we used to we used to find that, oh, we, our vacation schedules used to get affected by that. So we basically say, hey, this is a tool that we run. Uh, as a part of L1 support, maybe try running this locally on customer's environment, find out it's there and so on and so forth. Now, it got leaked to, I mean, like, I I had given it to L1, so I, I shouldn't say I leaked it. But then he had also leaked it to a client, customer of us, which is like a big pharma company, whatever, right? And they got it, right? And okay. this never, so and SAP had this release process where it had to go through component validations, solution validation, all those kind of things. But this tool somehow got leaked everywhere, right, to the customer. And the customer was said that, hey, this is great. We don't have to get SAP support for some of our internal tooling issues. And we thank SAP for building this. And this goes all the way to the VP of the product. And it comes down. It's like, who built this tool? I mean, like, these are the kind of tools we need. But we never authorized it. Which part project is this? Which this thing is there? I was like, I was this guy in Bangalore <laughs> doing this thing. And that was, that's one pirate story, right? Because you don't have to follow rules, right? I mean, no one, it hasn't had to come out as an authorized project. I mean, this is basically, uh, uh, you know, laziness, right? And they say, uh, Larry Wall, the guy who created Perl said, uh, there are these three great qual uh, qualities of a good programmer is laziness, impatience, and hubris, right? So I was lazy. I was impatient to <laughs> get to this thing. And I felt that, hey, this is all be fine. I don't have to inform anybody. I can just build it on my time and then like just ship it and it'll all be okay. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> and I, I think that worked out well. Uh, that's one story. The other story more recently is that, um, so we work a lot with our clients on uh, scaling their IT infrastructure and uh, or scaling their platforms and so on as a digital platforms mostly. Right. And this is one platform that's written on rails and it was performing rather poorly because that company went away from acquiring one customer one by one, and they were acquiring essentially companies and they were building this whole catalog of music and that they had to be distributed and so on and so forth. And the system was under heavy load, right? And you can do only so much in terms of incremental changes, right? You can only get so much incremental value, right? We, we, it came to a point where I knew that it needed a rewrite, right? And once in a while, you need that step function change for you to be able to be effective. Yeah, And uh, I kept pushing for it. So they had a process where you had to write a, a, a brief about it uh, on uh, Confluence and then the team would vote on it and then they would go, uh, you would basically, if it, if it gets approved, then that basically gets funneled back into the sprint priorities and uh, basically that gets broken down in tickets and then does that. 
And uh, this is such big a change that that process cannot accommodate that, right? Because no one knows what the end game is going to look like. We don't know what, what it's going to look like. But I had a very strong hunch that this is going to work. So I pushed for it. Uh, I was uh, the the sponsor on the project that we had on that. And uh, he was the acting CTO, uh, the VP of engineering, actually. Uh, but he was also essentially acting as a CTO. And he, he said, hey, this is too risky. I can't push it. Uh, I don't think this is going to work. There's no one else who knows. Go here. Only you and this one other guy who knows. Uh, what is? How does it go, going to work? All valid questions, right? I mean, all all valid concerns. Yeah. And he didn't green light it. But in, but we were still fighting right, the fire, right? I mean, we, we were still like, oh, the deliveries are not going through. There are so many failures. We have to do this. Uh, you cannot scale it beyond this point, or it's very painful to scale. Uh, the system was feeling very brittle. So uh, I chose a time when he was on vacation. I took uh, a week off as well. I just wrote it, <laughs> right? And I said, hey, I wrote it. This basically takes 10% uh, of whatever memory usage this thing has. It doesn't have any of these kind of problems. It uses IO copy, so it doesn't, you know, uh, do this. This also, I also made uh, a point to remove say some of the transcoding bits and all this and then like push it back and i had been doing that work for a while so i said like hey all these transcoding concerns have also been taken care of right all those kind of things this one week poc was like oh and i we basically ran like 10 percent of deliveries through and it performed beautifully right just as i this thing i said hey this is throwaway code i haven't written any tests for it i haven't done anything this is just to prove a point right and then i basically said let's set up another stream let me get one other developer. We'll just finish it off in three months. Don't worry about your sprint, scrum, all those processes. We'll set yeah. up, we'll take a Kanban kind of approach. We'll just pick things on top because we know what, what we need. And that worked beautifully, right? So <laughs> so essentially, I mean, we could it could have gone either way, right? I mean, you, you said, oh, yeah, how dare you? And then he could have like done this. Yeah. But some, sometimes if you have the conviction and you know it's going to work, I mean, you should just do it. Right. And in the end, you are the expert, right? You have leaders who, who are there to coach you. But in the end, you have to trust your judgment and expertise and also follow through on that, right? And say, oh, yeah, let me ship this. So this was just a one week POC that you wrote? Uh, uh, one week POC, but then that turned into a three month or a four month sort of like an implementation of this whole thing. And uh, they were delivering 8 million tracks. Right. Uh, so they had 8 million tracks under the catalog and they were delivering to 50 or 60 music stores. Right. So it was a pretty intensive sort of like a change. You can't just change over like deploy a piece of software and go. So you had to like yeah. cut over store by store so that, uh, you know, this traffic can go through. So how, how, did, like when was this put in production? Uh, After was the one week the, POC? The, the, the one week POC, the one, one week. POC was tried with protection with like with one store with 5% of the traffic. Ah, and how because I knew exactly. Sorry, uh, they did. They didn't. <laughs> so you just put it uh, in production. Yep. yep. Okay. Like I said, let's be pirates, but be responsible pirates. I knew exactly where uh, I was essentially responsible for the whole system anyway, right? Uh, so my response, so that's the thing, right? So when you take on responsibility, do you take on responsibility that you would just build the software or do you take on responsibility for building and operating that software, right? So, because there's a business impact to whatever we do, right? It's not just that, oh, we, we ship things willy-nilly and so on and so forth, yeah. right? 
So uh, given that there are processes in place and all this, I think the organization was very um, uh, accepting in of the risk, right? We say, oh, there is this risk. Uh, these uh, these things may not go through, but if these things don't go through, we can always retry deliveries. It'll be fine because essentially they were all being packaged mm. and they were just getting being delivered by this component. So I knew exactly the kind of change I wanted to make, and I knew exactly how to do it, right? And and this is also the scientific method, right? When you say, so they say, oh, you need to form a hypothesis, you need to, or you, you need to have an assumption, you need to then set up a hypothesis, then you have to set up your experiment, and then you have to do a validate your experiment, right? Yeah. And with software, it's the same thing, right? Whenever you do these things, you need to have an environment where you can run these experiments, right? And we had already set up our environment to allow for experiments. And this was like being a pilot also means that you need to have that safety margins in place and say, oh, you shouldn't be burning down the ship <laughs> when you're being yeah. a pirate. Right? But you need to have those things in place and also be responsible. If there's a small fire that breaks out, try it in a small thing so that you can put it off and that doesn't burn down the whole ship. Yeah, I think that so, was the key ingredient that because you could afford to make a mistake and if the mistake happened, there was a fallback. It was not a permanent right. harm. You could heal it. Uh, that yeah. goes a long way. Yes, and uh, since I had taken off, I mean, uh, I was a consultant. I get paid by the hour, by the time. I didn't build them for the time, right? So because it's not approval. So I did not build them for the time, even though they got the benefits of it. And we did this. I had that conviction that this will work for them, right? And this is mm -hmm. that environment. You need to build that trust. So, I mean, in short, being a pirate does not mean that you are... Uh, you're you're rude and you're impersonal and you are this thing. Being a pirate is all about uh, you know having that responsibility, having that thing to take it to the finish line, and have uh, a slight disregard for rules, right? I mean, you look at you understand what why, what rules are, and not to break them because you want to break them. It's like if it's for the greater good, right? If it's getting in your way, yeah. then you basically decide, hey, this is not helping with the overall sort of a goal, and then you decide what you want to do. Where is this pirate philosophy coming from? Uh, it's a great like philosophy analogy, whatever you call it. Uh, did you read it somewhere, or like how how did you? Oh yes, about? Steve Steve Jobs is very very famous for uh, uh, talking about this, right? Okay. And uh, he basically had this lecture. Um, I I remember I don't remember. I think it was Stanford or something like that which said that. There's also this uh, movie called Pirates of the Silicon Valley. I mean, although it doesn't paint him in that great a light, and which I think is fair. I mean, he's not he was not a very nice. He was a great guy, but not a nice person by any means, right? So uh, no one would accuse him of that, right? So 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 he, they talk about the pirate culture as well. And I think it's the same about the hacker culture, right? I mean, they talk about the MIT hacker culture and so on and so forth. A lot of people think of hacker as a bad word, as someone who breaks information systems, right? Uh, but uh, uh, like the free it's software com community. It's a misnomer, actually. Uh, exactly. Those, right? those hackers, the preconceived hackers who break things, they are actually called crackers. That's uh, right. That's and right, the right. Hackers are traditionally the white hat hackers. So the white hat adjective right. is actually not needed. Uh, there is nothing right. called a black hat hacker. That's just a cracker. 
that that's right that's right yeah. so right so and uh, this is that uh, um, uh, so i think eric s raymond was there the guy who wrote uh, the cathedral and the bazaar and all that and he had this hacker emblem uh, which was uh, like in the game of life it was that glider thing which like zips through right when I mean, it just like zips through uh, it's the fastest uh, game of life symbol that's there and that's called the hacker symbol and i used to even have a shirt uh, that was printed with the hacker symbol that's there uh, so oh. it's i mean so it's it's all about that right i mean i i think uh, often times we get uh, i mean we think of things as oh a straight path of your career and say oh you have to do this and this and this and this and then you'll be successful um uh, it's not quite that straightforward and uh, with software being as complicated as it is and as versatile as it is right i mean yeah. so i i have this raspberry pi this is a full computer that you can run some stuff on right you have arduinos you have esp32s that are coming in which have microcontrollers that run wifi and bluetooth and everything on board yeah. the nature of what these digital devices are is constantly changing right and it's con- and to but to actually you know confine ourselves to say oh i'm a mobile developer or i'm a devops developer or i'm back end or i'm like back end java core java developer I mean, like that's this too specific right i mean it's just, it's uh, i think you need to be uh, i and i think I, I see that with uh, uh, especially with all these boot camps and things coming in a lot of people learning react a lot of people learning material ui and things that uh, people come in to that and they come into that with that mindset oh this is a react way of doing it. and they feel that react way of doing is the javascript way of doing it, or this is how you build uis and things like that and mm-hmm. uh, when when they see other ways of doing things they are often um, uh, they are often challenged some of them rise to the challenge and say oh this is cool we should learn that but some of them are like oh oh no this is good i know how to build applications react full stack way is the way to build applications and we should do this and i, I and uh, i mean I, i'm for me i have constantly been challenged by what is possible what is not possible with this like i mean if you look at uh, 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 you know ai and llms and all that nobody could have predicted right that such a thing would happen uh like if someone asked me two years back uh if if this is would chat gpt be a thing would we have someone something which would uh you know talk so fluently and have like questions on this on very deep topics and it will have knowledge on we have essentially created a learning organism right and uh, uh and say what you may about the privacy policy of open ai or like uh, or the motivations of sam altman or things the fact that they did not use that in one corner of a company and they made it open right when i say open i don't mean that they are open so i mean open ai is known has been uh, you know criticized for oh it's it's actually closed ai it's not open and that's all yeah. fine but the point is they exposed this at the scale where it has brought it to the consciousness of pretty much the general public right google had that tech as well meta had that tech i mean pretty much all these companies had this tech uh, right google has been using it using ai for a long time right uh, meta has been using ai for a long time yeah. right i mean the, look at the things that are coming out of it right it's, it's it's been there but the fact they were using it in a corner of their their companies to basically drive profit for that small like thing but the fact that open ai came and like just absolutely blew everything out of the water right yeah. and everybody is like oh my god this is possible now 
<laughs> we ha- we have thinking machines among us. That's uh, crazy. So open AI yes. um, mm-hmm. uh, is a proprietary thing. It's actually not open. Uh, but no. now there are open source LLM models which are coming out, which are true open source, and so, uh, it allows people to do it offline. I mean, it's it's evolving. It's not there yet. Right. But it allows people to do exactly the set of things that OpenAI does, uh, which is chatting, which is generating images, which is generating videos, which is generating audio, voice. Uh, all of those models are coming out in the open domain, uh, which just unleashes tremendous power uh, in mm-hmm. open, right? Uh, so yeah, that's a- amazing place to be, amazing place to live, uh, amazing time to live right now. Amazing time to live, yeah. 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 Um, also, your point on uh, React and all the boot camps that are happening, right? Uh, yes, there are, you know, like a 10, 20 different ways of doing it. But to get it right, you have to start somewhere. You cannot Agreed. start general. Uh, it's going to be too abstract. It's going to be too uh, complex to make sense of. So you have to start with a language, a framework. But keep in mind that there are more languages, there are more frameworks, there are more paradigms and uh, learn this one properly so that you can appreciate the others. And then learning a second language and a second framework is like 100x easier if you have learned Definitely. the first one correctly. Yes, uh, uh, I would say uh, uh, learning the third language becomes easier. Learning the second language is always harder because you have to unlearn some of the learnings that you had the first time, right? So you, you it's it's... Let me, let me put it in this perspective, right? So if someone is learning uh, TypeScript or JavaScript now, right? And the second language they pick up is Go, right? Mm. Which which has a completely different way of doing things. But it's still not too far. It's not too far from this. But uh, the receiver pointer types that are there, uh, the whole idea of uh, uh, channels, and the model of concurrency is not the same as async await. Uh, it's not. So it is... It's different enough. So for someone who's learned the first language, right? It's all about, oh, I get to do, uh, they, they are learning how to solve a problem with the tool that they have, right? When you get another tool, right? You're now learning that tool and like what makes this stick, right? And how is it different from this tool? That actually makes, that, that it's, it's extremely valuable. It's extremely valuable to learn another tool that way. And yeah. to compare and contrast how this works with it. Uh, and that, I feel, is harder than the first time you learned this language, right? When you learn Go, after you learn JavaScript, Go can hurt your brain in like a thousand ways, right, to do that. Yeah. But then you go, for, you learn types of Go, and then you go to Rust, or you go to Java, then you'll be like, ah, yeah, I've seen these patterns here. I've seen these patterns here. Oh, they tend to do this here, and so on and so forth. But again, from there, if you go to Haskell, which says, oh, you cannot assign variables. No, that's not allowed, right? You cannot change. You can't do plus equal to something, right? And that again changes your, uh, and it's the same thing, right? Because you have thought of your model of computation in like a one Neumann kind of like a typical, that like, oh, I, I do, or a, or, a, or a set of like tasks to perform. And then here, there is something which is completely declarative, right? Completely saying that, hey, it just makes assertions on like, oh, this is this, this is this, this is this. So given this, it should be this, right? So it's it's purely declarative. And uh, that is, um, that's again another thing. And, and, and I feel that is where the value is, right? Uh, when you get into this field, know that you are getting into essentially 
you're signing up for research essentially right you're signing up for the fact that you're going to be continuously learning things are continuously going to get changed uh the technology technology du jour and like the practices du jour are going to change and uh, good teams would often need to pick it up, pick it up because no one is working with one language one framework they're working in an ecosystem and as the ecosystem changes you have to change along with the ecosystem otherwise you'll be in a world of hurt actually yeah beautifully put uh that first time you are learning you are learning the language the second time you are learning you are probably learning the language still uh, the second language but the third time you are learning the paradigm you are learning better abstractions you are no longer stuck with the syntax uh right. and the stuck with language level constructs but you start seeing things differently and there are different patterns that emerge um which makes things easier uh, for you to pick up That's and right. also yeah you have to keep adapting because th- the world is changing around you so uh, if you know just one language or you know one way of doing it in a few years you are going to be obsolete and it will be very That's hard right. to upskill so from that perspective being a pirate is an invaluable skill because it just elongates your career and in that sense it's not a time waste uh, to just answer the original question um it might seem a time waste in the short term uh, maybe like over a horizon of a week or a month or a quarter but over right. the long term it's absolutely not it builds your character as uh, a developer uh, as a programmer and this is the same for pretty much um other aspects i mean if you are in tech um it's a team sport right uh, it's only so much that an individual can do uh, a group of talented individuals can create amazing things like for example whatsapp um uh, they say when facebook acquired it had uh, 13 people or 14 or 30 people something something less yeah. than like 100 and the valuation that they raised was crazy right i mean forget about the valuation and things like that even if you take something like an open source software and you look at the contributor list you would have a long list of contributors yes there are some critical pieces which are still maintained by one or two people but you would see the list of contributors is pretty large and so on and so forth so and software is essentially a team sport so it makes sense also to um you know build empathy right to for other people as well how what their motivations are how they uh, what makes them tick and also accept people as they are right so that's a skill uh, i mean they say that's just nature no i i think it's a skill that can be developed uh, you can uh, you can you know observe people you can observe uh, you know your natural and i am not the most uh, social person <laughs> so so to speak uh, i'm a bit of an introvert i'm not the extroverted kind where i will like willingly go and talk to people and all that but um, at the same time uh, you know that is a skill that i built as well right over the course of my uh, uh, career is to learn how other people think and give them uh, give accommodations as well um, especially if uh, uh, you know if if they have a constraint no learn to appreciate that constraint and then work with that and that would uh, uh, that would take a long way so in in uh, so my mother tongue is tamil actually yeah, uh, yeah. Go right ahead. they have the saying uh, they have the saying is that if you have to go fast uh, you go alone but if you have to go long you go along with someone right and your career and your life is then if you have, it is long right I mean, you want it to be a long career and a long and a fruitful one and for that you need uh, to build the sort of like a skill so that you can get people along and go along with that give us the original version uh, in tamil 
சோ த ஒரிஜினல் வேர்ஷன் இஸ் லைக் சீக்கிரம் போனோம்னா தனியா போனோம் தூரம் போனோம்னா கூட யாராவது போனோம் அப்படின்னு கூட கூட்டிட்டு போனோம் ஓகே சோ ஒன் மைட் ஆஸ்க் that uh, you know you're talking about the pirate mindset and all this tinkering and learning tools we talked about whether it is waste of time or not a different question might be why is this like how do we know it's still relevant because you're talking about uh, early 2000s it's like 20 years ago practically three generations of tech has changed since then seven years is one generation so um, how is it uh, still relevant uh, like how do uh, i'll give you i'll go even longer right uh, i think we were talking about it a little earlier as well i talking about the mythical man month right and uh, there are these things um, uh, which the, the commonly you people hear people say oh there is no silver bullet right to this that no silver bullet uh, is one of the essays in that book that was written in 1975 uh, it's almost 50 years now it's still relevant right Uh, another thing that i often see in microservice based systems now is that they'll show me this map of all the microservices that are linked talking and linking to each other and say i'm like give me the data structures right give me what tables are they affecting what are the what are the what are the data structures that each one owns and how do, do they affect and f- from there naturally the system will fall in place actually right and, and this is again things in that book and say that or oh, show me your uh, flow charts and i'll continue to be mystified and show me your data tables and i wouldn't need the flow charts this is like one of the other quotes in the book that's there so the nature of what software is or the nature of this has not changed for a long time yes tools have come and gone uh, you know things have been there but the nature of software has not changed and i i also have a pet peeve against agile scrum all those kind of things as well right so i feel uh, you know there was extreme programming which was very valuable and extreme programming was all about uh, do pair programming shorten your feedback cycle uh, you know continuously keep shipping software make changes small like that's that's extreme programming and uh, the extreme programming was distilled down the project management aspects were alone were distilled down and it basically became like agile systems and from there it became scrum and scrum basically devolved into a series of ceremonies uh, without a trace of any of the extreme programming practices in there so and if you have seen uh, i mean there's been a quite a bit of a, uh, a you know lash back against scrum say oh scrum doesn't work or scrum or, or scrum versus kanban scrum ban uh, 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 scaled agile frameworks i mean uh, and they call several other sort of like uh, uh, you know derivatives of that where they are only focused on addressing the project management and the people interaction part of it mm-hmm. and not the um, and not the engineering aspect that needs to get coupled along with this actually right so do this and I, that is a, again another thing i feel uh, like being a, a pirate a hacker a craftsman or whatever they need to be cognizant of because sometimes uh, you're so into that pirate hat that you tend to say hey let them do whatever that they want to do it's the project managers who are doing this or the product managers who are doing this no it's it's not the case right you got to fight uh, to make sure that the, those processes and practices make sense because like i said it's a team game right you cannot uh, you cannot do much as an individual you have to work in a team and you have to make sure that there are other pirates in the team right a product manager should be a pirate 
the project manager should be a pirate the devops guy should be a pirate everyone should be a pirate being a pirate is not about oh i'll work alone right pirates are in crews and they have this thing right so you need to you need to you know if i may extend that analogy you need to have a ship that can like go the fastest and all those kind of things and and the the good sign of these mm. uh, you know good crews is that they are the best at what they do right and you need to have and building software is so simple and that's why vcs right they pour money into companies uh, or earlier i mean <laughs> now uh, vcs are little but the, initially the reason reasoning behind where uh, where vcs essentially were like were very generous with their money is that they knew that getting good talent costs money and good talent essentially can be the decider of whether a company you know flips or not essentially if it, if it's the intellectual property right but now uh, with given um, operation and heavy startups then things change uh, for a little bit but where tech is the differentiator and not the enabler uh, i think having a strong team actually makes all the difference and you all you, you all need i mean you need as many pirates as you can get on board awesome um so mythical man month those who don't know is a book that came out in 1975 and that was before microsoft started like yes. microsoft was incorporated and that was before apple was incorporated in 1976 and the book came out in 75 so it was being written probably uh, a few months before maybe in 74 it got started like got inside writing um concepts are old uh and it's still worth yeah like um cool yeah this That's was good. one hell of a conversation and thank you for that uh wagmi absolutely and, man uh, love the insights about being a pirate why it's a timeless advice and why it elongates yes. your career so yes absolutely I, i do have one thing to plug in the end uh i am actually starting off uh, as my sort of like a youtube twitch streamer kind of a category so yes. i'll put the links below i'm completely new to this so watch me make really silly mistakes on stream right yeah go visit uh, wall and watch wagmi what do you do on your stream so mostly programming so i've been exploring so i'm running a small uh, so i've started building a small product called vivery uh which is in the generative ai space uh, the goal of this company is to actually allow uh existing products to add copilot onto their product suite really quickly so essentially uh, you can come up with a prompt you can ex- uh, we can expose your prompt as uh, api and quickly add it to your existing you know product saas product or what have you so this is a startup that's uh, tackling that it's just me and i'm building all this out in the open i'm doing all these experiments and i'm streaming pretty much everything that i'm building i'm not as regular as this but i'm slowly getting into the groove of this yeah yeah looking forward to uh, do, do more streams uh, looking forward to to do i looking forward to you doing more streams uh, and uh, yeah good luck with your product uh, can't wait thank you, you. also awesome. it was great Absolutely. having you uh, have right. a good bye bye thanks babin bye it was a pleasure speaking Thank you.